Hey there, Marketing Sweats friends. Thanks for listening to our special anniversary edition of Marketing Sweats. This season, we're featuring Samantalites sharing their point of pride, stories about the work they've been involved in that made them proud. In this episode, I'm talking with Gina Killian. She's now our Director of Organizational Design, but her point of pride stems from a lesson learned earlier in her career at Samantal when she was a digital strategist. Listen in as Gina explains how a decision that ended up being a mistake came to be her point of pride. I am here today with Miss Gina Killian, which you probably heard me say in the intro is she is one of my absolute favorite humans and favorite Samantalites. And I think most people at Samantal would say that about her, but I call her Gina Warrior Princess because she has had eight titles in eight years or how many? Nine. Nine titles in eight years because we don't know what to do with her and we keep changing her job. Gina, will you walk us through your Samantal story? How did you come into the role? What are the steps you made along the way? And where are you now? Sure. I joined Samantal a little over eight years ago. I hired in as a digital project manager. Okay. So helping our teams work on like web development projects, helping teams figure out timelines, dependencies, how to work with developers, all things technical. And that's when we put digital in front of everything because it really wasn't a thing yet. And now it is a thing everywhere. So we just yeah. call them project planners. Okay. Yeah. Now we just call them project yes. planners, but we had our own discipline for it initially. And then when I hired in, we were in the process of going going through the Eloqua certification for one of our largest clients, Caterpillar. And I was like, oh, hey, I've worked in Pardot before. I think I can do that. And so I asked if I could learn it. And my leaders at the time were like, yeah, sure. Why not? That seems fine. Sure. We could use another human to do that. So got in, got certified, learned everything there was to learn about it, worked in our marketing automation department for now, a couple of years. Question about that too. Were you part of the original contingent that like flew overseas for a week? No, oh, okay. I like missed getting to go to London by oh, a week. Okay. It was great. Yeah. Um, I took my boot camp in Las Vegas okay. uh, while everyone else was at an eloquent conference. Okay. Still <laughs> fun. In the basement doing... I think we might've been together on that yeah, trip. Okay. Yeah. It was got a it. very fun trip, but... I did miss London by like oh, a week. That sucks. Okay. Marketing automation. <laughs> then what? From there, I got to work with a lot of our strategy team, our digital strategists. And I thought they were some of the smartest and coolest humans I'd ever met. And I really wanted to be like them. So I begged and pleaded and said, can I follow you around and learn how to do this? And they said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I moved into a digital strategy associate role because I was terrified of being a real strategist because okay. I didn't think that I could possibly do that. So I got to shadow under several brilliant strategists on the Samantal team, did that for a little while, then got to become a a full-fledged strategist. Cool. Went from that to like senior strategist, and then I think I was a lead digital strategist for a while. Then we put me as an associate director of experience strategy. (laughs) And had you had a team? That was your first managerial role. Okay. Got it. And I think I was an experienced strategist before I was leading that. There were a lot of like iterations of title. And now, yet again, I found something that I think is really interesting, and I begged my leaders to let me uh, go chase it and learn about it. And so now I'm helping our business with organizational design. That is amazing. And I'm going to ask you a ton of questions about that because I'm sure people are like, what the heck is organizational design? Well, I, what I love about your story, because I tell new Samantalites this all the time, is that like you can kind of craft your path here. And the great thing about working at Samantal is we change so much so often, and it sounds like you took advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. I love being a poster child of if you're interested and you want to learn, Samantal is the place to let you do that. Right. Our learning culture has always just let me chase whatever is 
interesting, new, or exciting in interviews with new people, I always tell them that there's never a no. If you want to do something, it's always like not yet or we'll work towards it. But I've never once heard someone say like, no, we absolutely can't do that. That's not a fit for you. That's not a career option. Maybe not right now. I want you to talk a little bit about, you use the word strategist in like five of those job titles. And I know that's like a really confusing and fuzzy word for like, what does a strategist do? Like, what did you learn about that process over time? Yeah, so I had been in roles that really required like hard technical skills and knowledge of systems and how to work with specific team members. And what I learned and loved about strategy was that it's kind of the center of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. It's in part pulling together big ideas with tactical channels to make something happen, right? It's how do we deliver on this goal, but it's also doing a lot of what I loved of translating requirements and helping people understand how you get from vision to execution and the like tie-in through the work across the entirety of a campaign or across the entirety of a program. Like you get to know everything about it and become an expert in not just your discipline as a marketer, but also your client's discipline. So you get to work with a bunch of different companies and basically be a different company's employee for a little while. That's very cool. It's so fun to learn all those things. And I know that you are a learner. We use the Enneagram tool at Smanel and Gina is a five. Why don't you tell them kind of how you're wired as a human? I like to explain it as like information is my currency. Okay. So I like to know everything about everything all of the time. Not that I want to be right. I just want to understand it. So I will dig in. I will ask probably too many questions. I've learned to caveat that at the beginning of like, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions today. It's just because I want to know. Sure. It helps me process. So we are just the Enneagram fives. We are observers. We're investigators. We like to fix things that are broken and like to know everything that there is to know about literally anything that we think is interesting. (laughs) And you'll go down a thousand rabbit holes till you find out the truth. Yeah. I want to know just as much about consumable products as Caterpillar as I do (laughs) like how many species of squids there are. That's amazing. really exhausting. (laughs) Was there something specific in your past or your story that you think like stirred that interest in you or just you've always been that way since you were a little girl? I've always wanted to know everything about the world. My mom is also the kind of person that strongly encouraged reading. So I think the fact that I was madly in love with reading and that reading was the way that I got out into the world and could experience things that I couldn't experience as like the poor child of a single mom living (laughs) in the rural South is probably how I fell in love with information. Well, so many people at Samantha rely on Gina to be the subject matter expert on all things. And so we really rely on her for that. So I'm excited to dig into your point of pride. Thank you, by the way, for submitting this. And I think it's such a cute and funny story. Talk a little bit about the role you were playing at the time of your point of pride and a little bit. Give us a little context of the situation and maybe the client you were working with at the time. Sure. So I was working with one of our cat clients. His name was Mike Tomlinson. He was in charge of the filters and fluids division within Caterpillar. And he had worked with Samantha for years prior to our introduction. So right when I became a full-fledged strategist, the previous strategist working on the account had gone on maternity leave. Mm. And he had had some of our most brilliant strategists, honestly. Um, He had worked with two women who I still consider mentors and think are amazing and brilliant. That are probably now on the client side. One of them is, one of them is still here. (laughs) And they 
had built up a ton of trust with him. And so he knew like Samantha was his partner and he was very excited to work with us. And I was certainly in that place of like, I have to prove myself. I have not shown you that I can do anything. I cannot live up to the legacy of these yeah. people. So we went very heavily into having to know everything there was to know. Like I poured through years of previous campaign performance for him, for other clients with similar products, for the industry. Like we just went all in. And I spent a lot of time like trying to explain all of my rationale to him. Sure. And he was just like, I trust you, it's fine. Oh, that's great. So I have two follow-up questions before you go much further. So fluids and filters. For somebody listening who might not understand the breadth of all that Caterpillar offers, talk about that as a product line within the many things we would market. Maybe give us a little bit of how that would be a hard thing to sell to a customer. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're looking at a Caterpillar product line, most people think of the prime product, like the machine, the thing that everyone knows and recognizes as the brand. But they have an entire side of their business that's aftermarket. It's all parts, it's service, it's technology. So most of my career has been working on the aftermarket side of things and filters and fluids was one of our first products. So when you look at a customer and you talk about filters and fluids, it's very similar to how you might operate as a consumer of automotive products in general. Your car, right? Yeah, your car. So For most people, they don't necessarily have a lot of value in a filter or a fluid. It's something that's consumable. It's cheap insurance. You replace it often. You make sure that it's clean, and that's about all that you care about. You care about, does it fit my equipment, not is it doing its job? Whereas CAT parts are built by engineers. They are designed to work specifically with the equipment, specifically in the application. They are tested endlessly and constantly improved. And so you've got massive filtration differences with cat nose down to the exact like hour when you should be changing filters or fluids based off of every application that you might be running the machine in. But most consumers think I can just pick this up at Napa. It doesn't need to be cat. And while those parts will technically work in the equipment, their performance is just so much worse. Like they are not designed to the same rigidity and to the same standards that cat parts are. And so you want to have the story delivered to the customer of why it's better, why Mm -hmm. it's worth it to go to the dealer to get the right part. Because maybe you can pick something up at Napa, but in a lot of instances for pretty close to the same like price point, not every time, but most of the time pretty close to the same price point, you could get a product that is going to reduce your risk of contamination, reduce your risk of failure, hold up longer over the life of the equipment. Like it just makes so much more sense, but people don't think about it that way. I mean, I couldn't tell you what air filter is in my car right now. No, me either. But I could tell you that if I owned a backhoe, I would absolutely have a cat filter in it. (laughs) Well, what I love about listening to you is not only how knowledgeable you are about this, which I think shows how much we dig in at Samantle, right? Especially you. But you're speaking as a spokesperson on behalf of our clients. And I love it when our clients say like, you care sometimes more than we do. And I know that's true of you, Gina. But what was also interesting about how you set up this story is just how much you cared and how much you wanted to like please this client. And maybe even a little bit of how negative you were on yourself, right? About can I do this? Am I going to be good enough? So is that something that, because I see that carries through throughout your story. Did you end up overcoming that? And do you see that in a lot of Samanolites when they start at this crazy place where we have so much to learn? I do. I certainly think there's probably still times that I'm too hard on myself or I don't feel as confident as I could. But one of the things that I loved so much about working with Mike and getting to learn from him 
he asked a ton of questions. So I would go in like ready to answer every single question. And I would feel like an absolute failure if he stumped me. He was just like, could, could you just go get me the answer? Yeah, it's fine exactly. that you don't know literally everything off the top of your head all of the time. But I remember one meeting with him specifically, like three or four months into working with him, I had an optimization I wanted to make to the media. I wanted to like remove a channel entirely and put that spend in something else. And I like came with my rationale written out and I walked through exactly why I wanted to do it and what I thought was going to happen and how it was going to happen. And then I just stopped talking and he was like, do you want my permission to do it? And I was like, yes, yes, I do want your permission. He goes, okay, well, you have it. Also, you don't need my permission. Aww. Like, I know that you know what you're doing. I trust you. If you want to do something, Ugh. do it. Tell me you did it, but, like, go ahead. You don't need my permission. What an amazing You've got client. this. And yeah. Yeah, it, it made my day. And to this day, he's probably still one of my favorite yeah. clients to work with because he just is so sweet. Well, I do have questions about him as a client. We just saw him last weekend. He came to our 40-ish party, which was amazing. So we'll talk about him, but... Okay, I cut you off. So start your story again. So we got these filters and fluids product. It sounds like a really hard project. You don't know anything about it. What did we decide to do? We made the recommendation to build out our plan based off of trying to keep these consistent monthly metrics. So one of the things that was really important because it's hard to measure specific KPIs for this client, especially like aftermarket sales over dealer channels, like offline sales are hard to measure sure. for them tied to a campaign. Obviously, they know how many parts they sell. We looked at making sure we could show the education for the customer. So how many people were coming to the site, the amount of content that they were engaging with, which pieces of content specifically we could get them to engage with, and then what actions they took to take another step closer to purchasing, whether that's like looking at a cross-reference site to make sure you've got the right part number, if it's clicking over to shop, if it's clicking to find your dealer, that kind of thing. And so we had a goal that we set for each month of what we needed those specific interactions to be and what we needed the overall volume to be. And it was like, we're gonna keep this consistent over the life of the campaign. And so we built out our media plan for that, knowing that summer was going to be hard for us. We had seen that in previous data, that it's just more expensive to reach those customers. They're out in the field. They're working. Sure. The last thing they care about is preventative maintenance. Right. And so we thought, let's spend more there. And we did. And it didn't work out super great for us because it still didn't keep the metrics consistent for that month. They were lower than previous months and they were more expensive. And so I had to tell the client that and he was so gracious and was just like, okay, great. So next time we won't do that, right? Like that's what we learned. Cool. And it's something that I get to find out all the time to the customer and the audience too, because it's also true in other consumable parts spaces. And so it's like a story that I can tell future clients as well of like here's your choice sure. I'd recommend this one because you're going to get more return out of it and it's not going to be as expensive yeah a couple things on that so data is usually important to Gina we know this right and it sounds like it was important to the client do you think we do enough of that today like really focus on the kpis the roi or could we be doing it more in that space could we be helping our clients set goals better in that space i absolutely think that you can always be doing better at telling a data story sure. and planning for a data story so it is something that i think a lot of our clients are deeply eager for it's something that a lot of stakeholders particularly want like they want the data especially when you work with clients that are in the verticals that we tend to serve, right? These are engineers, right? Culturally, they want data. 
And so we certainly could do more. I think we do a lot of it. The other thing that's probably really important that we don't do as much of is some of that upfront goal setting. Goal setting. Yeah. And if you want the data, here's all the connections that we have to make to get that data. Right. Because it doesn't just exist in the ether. Yeah. You have to collect data. It can, you yeah. can't just find it after the fact. Yeah. Too. I was thinking as you were talking about meeting those monthly KPIs, how did the creative fit into this? Do you remember? Because I think it's so easy to get into that channel space and that media data space. But I mean, creative's like 90, that's probably not the right metric, maybe 75% of the effectiveness, right? And with filters and fluids, like they're not thinking about it. So we had to have a big message, right? We did. We had a very big message. So our creative team sat down with us in the upfront and poured through the research with us. We looked at the customer interviews and saw what was or wasn't important to them? How did we get them to convert? How did we get them to think about this thing that they don't care about as much regularly? And the answer was often fear and doubt. The if, emotional side of yes. the buying process. If Very you could so fear with the customer or so doubt, then you could get them to ask themselves, should I be thinking about this particular product? Should it be something that I need to be concerned about? Sure. Because they don't want to have it preached to them. They really didn't appreciate all of the stats as the initial conversation. They don't want to know that it's going to increase the life expectancy of their equipment by X percent. Sure. They just want to know, like, maybe I'm making the wrong decision. So our creative team came up with a campaign. We've done a couple for them now, but the first one was called Stan and Carl. Okay. And it was a machine literally haunting its oh, funny. owner, like following it around everywhere that it was going because it was mad that he had put the wrong filter oh, in it. Oh, funny. And so it was very funny and it was very cute and like a great way to open up the conversation for a customer to ask to ha- ask them to ask themselves if they feel confident in their decisions. Yes. We're not saying that they're right. We're not saying that they're wrong. We're saying our perspective is that they're wrong, but it's not preachy. It's not shoving it down their throat. It's just enough to sow that doubt to get them to take the step to do some research. Absolutely. I remember that campaign and seeing it even just at social spots and things like that and thinking like, we always have to remember who we're talking to here, right? We're trying to cut through the clutter, not sell a product, but just make someone laugh or connect with them on that emotional level. So good for you guys. I want to circle back though to Mike as the client. You've said a lot of nice things about him already. And I think we all think he's a huge part of our story, right? Because he's brave. He was honest. He was open to ask a lot of questions and really wanted our advice. So what did working with him at a young age teach you about like what a great client looks like and like how do you plant those seeds today even as you're setting expectations with new clients? Yeah, so I think the characteristics of Mike that were my favorite to work under as a newer strategist were that he was so eager for more information. That really paralleled how I like to engage people anyway, right? Right. He has lots of questions. I have lots of questions. So we would go in a back and forth question cycle and it was very (laughs) fulfilling. Yes. But he also would give me grace when I didn't have the answer. He Mm -hmm. would let me go find it out for him. He would let me do some research. It was always okay to say, I don't know, but let me find out for you. And that's something that I had to learn I could say, which was amazing and important me and it's something that I've also taught my other team members like it's okay if you don't know it is okay to just say I'm not certain or I have a theory but let me confirm it right because having the right answer matters more than having an answer yes and so it's okay to go back some of the other things that were really exciting to work with Mike and to learn from him from were his ability to 
be so calm about everything. Mm. So, like, something could be going horribly wrong, and he would be calm about it. Mm. He would just, like, take a step back and breathe and think through the exercise. And those are some of my favorite clients. Like, I'm not as an emotionally reactive person as some other humans that exist in the world, and that's fine. But it was something that I've been able to mirror to. Like, when clients are freaking out about something, it's fair. They have feelings. They're people. But being able to kind of be the calm voice in the room or to be the calm presence, we can do that if we need to. Absolutely. It's okay, too. So, like, they went through some things with brand and trying to get the video approved. We had some months where talked about summer months not necessarily having the best performance and you could have people reacting in a way that was very big or like visual and everyone has feelings they're running really high it's a stressful campaign everyone's really excited about it and mike would just be like well you know we can do what we can do right i can take it to my leaders i admire people like that because that's so not me but I know, Gina, you're modeling what sort of quiet leadership looks like, and I'll talk to you about that sort of at the end here. But you also mentioned, as you were as talking about him as a human, the importance of honesty and vulnerability in yourself. And I know all of us now that have been at Samantha a while tell new Samantalites, right? Like, this is going to feel weird. You're going to come into a culture where it's okay to say, I screwed up, and we're not going to point your finger. We're going to come around you and say, how can we help? Or like you said, say you don't know or say I'm still learning that and it's fine, right? So I just wanted to say a a little bit more about how you now train teams that that's actually part of our culture and having a good client like helps enable that. When we have new team members come in, we do often go through basically like practice meetings. At least in my team we do. That's awesome. Um, So it's like, you know, you're going to ask the client these questions. We'll put on our hat and we'll pretend to be a client and like practice it with you. And we'll ask you hard questions that stump you. That's awesome. And if you don't have an answer for that, we see how you react and then we coach through it. We say, it's okay to say, I don't know, or let me go figure that out. It's okay to say, this is what I think. Right. That's probably my favorite trick uh, in all working with clients is this is what I think, but let me go confirm it because it gives an answer of like, I'm pretty sure this is right, but I don't want to commit to it right this second. I want to double check with somebody and it gives the clients confidence that like you've got an idea of what's going on, but you are not going to give them the wrong information. It helps build trust. I love that as a leadership lesson that it's okay to just say what you think, because that's going to build up that trust and confidence in your consultancy. I want to circle back to one of the quotes in your write-up, and I have to read it to everybody. This is when you had to tell Mike how devastated you were that you screwed up. And it was my favorite line in your whole submission. Hello, smart and wonderful human, because Gina calls everybody humans, who has given me so much trust and faith to make right decisions. I have failed you. I am aware that you have Tim Leesman's number. For those of you who don't know Tim Leesman, that's my business partner and Gina's boss. If you want to call him and request that I be shown the door, you are well within your right to do so. That is so cute, first of all. Made me giggle. Why is it that you have so much reverence to your leaders? And I think it's not just like inside Samantha, but with your clients because you view them as leaders too. Like talk about that relationship a little bit. Sure. So I came up this business very young and I think that has helped inform my perspective on all of the very smart humans that I've gotten to learn from. But I have so much faith and trust in the people who have given me space to learn and grow and try things and fail that I expect them to have all of the answers all of the time. (laughs) And so whenever I do make a mistake or whenever I do have a weird gray situation that I'm like, I don't know what to do here. I need to go talk to somebody. 
I'm looking to someone who has shown me that they do know so much, but also that they don't always. And Tim is so funny because Tim has a really good relationship with that particular client. Like they've worked together for a really long time. They get lunch. And so he would talk about like his relationship with Tim. And I was like, okay, great. So you and Tim are best friends and Tim's gonna definitely fire me over this. And that's cool. And not once, not once has I been remotely close to being fired to my knowledge. <laughs> not at all. Well, and I think you respect your leader's knowledge, but you also are one of the biggest advocates at Samantha for doing what's right and good and ethical in the world. And I think that you challenge your leaders to say like, mm, I don't know if this is really in line with our compass. And I love that about you. I love that we are at the kind of place where you feel like you can do that too. Me too. And I don't have a lot of moral gray space and I so appreciate the people at Smannel and in our client realms who can help me navigate that because so much of the world is morally gray and you want to lean toward the white. Absolutely. Um, or like lean toward, it's the most moral choice that you can make. Right. I'm, I exist in binaries. So yeah. <laughs> I need my leaders to help me navigate that. Right. Especially when it, you know, impacts so much lives and you're always trying to do like the greater good. So I appreciate our conversations on that. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about this particular project in terms of how it ended or lessons learned before I ask about your new role? I do want to acknowledge the way you talk about Mike is the way that I feel about one particular Caterpillar client also who once said to me, Misty, we love you. We hire you not because of what you do, but because of who you are. Right. And I feel like you had that sort of same dynamic with this client that you like mutually respected each other for like what you brought to the table. And you could have made a thousand mistakes and it really wouldn't have mattered in the long run because you had built that longstanding relationship and almost friendship. Yeah, I certainly think so. And I'm lucky that I've gotten to work with a handful of clients that are like that. I think Mike was so meaningful for me because it was my first time as kind of a leader on a project to have someone let me fail to have someone build that trust with me to have someone who would be willing to like try something and like take a calculated risk um, was super meaningful but there are certainly a handful of clients that I just feel so grateful that we've gotten to work with them that we've gotten to build relationships with them and I do I think one of the things that's probably the most true is clients come to us for what we know and they stay with us because of who we are yeah I love that why was this your point of pride, though? You know, and I think it's funny because you were only one of maybe two people who submitted a failure. That's what you're proud of. Because I think in a lot of other agency cultures and a lot of other corporate cultures, if you made a mistake and you were unwilling to try to put some spin on it or make it seem positive, even though it was a negative, you would have repercussions for that. And Samantha's just not that place. And so I'm so proud of Samantle and I'm proud of the culture that we've built because this is a safe place to fail because failure is where growth happens, Absolutely. right? Like we learn more from the things we do wrong than the things we do right. Yeah. We try to do more things right, but that growth potential is just so much bigger when you are in a space where you can make mistakes, you can take calculated risks, you can have hard conversations and come out of them better and smarter. And so I love that about Samantle. I love that about my journey at Samantle. I'm so grateful that I learned it so early in my career that I could screw up and it was going to be okay. Absolutely. Um, and so that's probably why. I mean, it is why it's my pride of pride. because <laughs> this is my favorite place and it's the kind of place I want everyone to be. And I want them to know that they can fail, they can learn, and that they can come out on the other side of it lucky enough to lead departments or help people solve different weird problems. Yes. 
Well, you've mentioned a little bit of the ingredients to that culture as we've gone through your leaders modeled it for you. We had awesome clients. You're just your day-to-day experience. But I've often believed like, wouldn't it be cool if we could package up our culture and sell it? Like, what do you think is the heart of that? I just, like you said, it's not that all agencies don't have a little bit of this, but it's like different here. Sometimes I wonder if it's because of our longstanding 40-year relationship with one client. Like, what do you think it is that makes us so open to these things? I do think we benefit from the fact that we have some longstanding client relationships that have given us the ability to be more vulnerable with our clients as well as each other. But I think, and you're not supposed to say love at work, but I do think <laughs> it's that we genuinely care about each other. We do, yeah. Like, Samantha lights are friends outside of work. We're not in competition with each other for anything. There is no ladder we're trying to climb or some pyramid peak that is the top like success is not a scarcity here it's an opportunity for everyone and I I love that that's why we are who we are yeah oh I love that that came out of your mouth not mine because I agree with that wholeheartedly all right well we're gonna switch gears thank you again for submitting your point of pride I'm sure Mike is gonna love listening to this talk a little bit about your new role like kind of how you came into this idea of org design and why it was important or helpful like in the universe but then also here at Samantha and a little bit tell the story about how you approached your leadership and suggested that this was a thing sure so I have been a problem solver at Symantle for the majority of my career here and the thing that I love the most about coming to work every day is that there is some system or some process or some major overarching positioning that needs to get worked through and there's always something that we could be doing better at we are focused on continual improvement for our client work but we also try to do it for ourselves we're always looking at how do we get more efficient how do we make this better for other people how do we make this process faster smoother whatever it may be that it needs and so i've been lucky enough to be a part of the fixing of things in a lot of instances and i really love that i really love my day job working with clients too but i really love being able to work across teams and kind of dive into what we need to do how do we organize our work so i had met another team member from a different agency at one of our AMEN conferences who was doing similar work for her agency, a little bit different. They were focused on like redoing their project management and how they organized their world and how they organized their work. But I was really interested by what her role was within her organization. And so we had talked to a couple of my leaders about it and said, hey, this is really interesting. It's something that I think we could be doing more of. And we had continual conversations about that. Initially, the answer I got was like, not right now, which is fair. There were other things that were needed your help. So we stuck with what we needed to work on. But as we grew our team, as we found space for it, we were able to have the conversation of, can we do this? And if so, what could that look like? And I think we're still a little bit defining what it looks like. But the idea that we have a person and a team within our organization who's focused on fixing process, caring about efficiency, looking at how we structure ourselves, how we work together, what our collaboration looks like. I think it's going to benefit us, but it's also going to be hugely beneficial to our clients because it's going to make their product better. So I'm excited to get to be solving client problems, but maybe they don't necessarily know that I exist every time. Well, when Gina brought us this role, and certainly we have been growing like crazy, right? Like the pandemic was challenging, but surprisingly, our business grew exponentially during that time period. We hired a ton of new people. So 
when Gina brought us the idea that she, her whole job could be helping team members fix hard things, we're like, oh, that's kind of what you do now, only on steroids. So that's definitely a part of it. But isn't there a bigger picture sort of idea in this, Gina, in terms of like truly designing an organization to meet sort of like our business objectives? It's not just like fixing things all the time. Talk about the difference between sort of the iterative or agile role you'll be playing versus managing a broader plan. Yeah, so I think we look at how we structure, design, however you want to frame it, our organization in a multitude of layers, right? Most people think about organizational design, they think just their org chart. Sure. It's your hierarchy. Your structure. Your team structure. We are looking at our positioning. We're looking at how we enable our leaders to be more effective in their roles and across the organization. We're looking at what our collaboration looks like. So we have kind of a long-term plan that we have to build toward our growth based off of specific KPIs for our agency and who we want to be in a couple of years. But at the same time, we're also doing kind of bottom-up basic process fixes, looking at quick win areas for us to get things documented, get teams trained on stuff. Because certainly if you've been in an agency, if you've been in one as great as Savannah, you know that work can happen really fast and all of the client work is documented, but maybe not our process on how we got there. The messy middle, Uh, we call it. It's easier to get some people trained and help them understand how we do the messy middle by trying to prioritize some of that work really quickly. What are you most excited about in this new job? And have you had any early like quick wins or successes that you're like, ah, oh, this is why I this is why I want to do this? One of the things that's been really exciting is teams pulling me in to say, how do we work with this client better? Ah, um, I love that idea. Yeah. So it, it really has not a lot to do with the work. It's more about the culture and the communication part of it. It's in part culture and communication. It's also in part process. So okay. different clients want to engage with us differently. Some clients want to work with us on a singular project. Some clients want us at their beck and call to be an extension of their team. And the way that we do work and the way that we react to clients has to be flexible to do that. So we have one team that is working with a client that wants to work as an extension of their team. They are on call. Priorities change literally daily, sometimes hourly. And the way they work with that client and the way they work with the rest of the agency had to change for them to be able to be effective at that and to keep that client happy and to meet their needs. Whereas clients that want to work with us on a project basis, like they're probably going to be fine working through our kind of a standard waterfall operating model right? to go through and say, okay, you want a video? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to write the script. You're going to review the script. We're going to do concepts. You're going to approve the concepts. Like we can go through that process and right. post editing all the things that doesn't work for every yeah. client. So being able to like help different teams figure out how to react differently to different client needs so that they're able to not lose their sanity because you also want to know like what do I do when I come to work every day but also be able to keep those clients happy and be able to react to them and be more nimble for the projects that need that. Absolutely. I love that you're hinting on how part of our culture is to really meet clients where they are and not make them buy exactly what we do, right? But like what they need. I love hearing you talk about being an internal consultant to teams because that was part of the vision is that like be able to call Gina right but if I'm an employer client listening to this and I'm like oh well I want to use Gina's brain like what is the way to tap into you best as you seek to fix all these problems like how do you reach me because it's Gina <laughs> K at um, well that's part of it but is there some sort of protocol or process in your world that like works best so you can get your arms around the problem and help best solve it 
Yeah. So if we had a client or a prospective client that was wanting to look at how they engage Savannah to help them think about organizational health or their team structure or their collaboration, kind of the first step that we would go through is a general download of how their team works today, who it is that they are, what they're trying to accomplish, what their team model looks like, how people operate, like a couple of really good interviews with them and pulling some reference and documentation. And we look at where are their big areas of concern or inefficiency, risk, like what do people not know that they're supposed to know that maybe only their leaders know? Right. How do we fix those challenges? So we'd have to go through like an assessment for every single client. It'd be unique to their situation. Sure. Unfortunately, there's no one way to fix all the problems in the world. Every problem has a unique solution, but we would be able to kind of help them guide through their process of trying to figure out how to be more efficient or how to have people be happier. We'd want to know what that specific problem that they're trying to solve is, but... I love that. The few times we've hired outside help to kind of have an outside look at our organization, right? Like we've learned a lot from that process just because certainly consultants only have like a keyhole window into the world, but like their ability to bubble up some pretty major priorities and put them on a roadmap has been helpful to us. And it's awesome to think that like we can do that for other people. So I'm really looking forward to that. A few final questions for you, Gina, about your leadership here at Symantle. So one of the things you're focused on right now and even putting yourself out into the universe and talking about is that leadership can look different for different humans. And so talk about how historically Symantle has been a little bit of a louder culture, maybe like a command the room culture, hard to get a word in edgewise culture, and how your leadership has maybe provided a different model for that and why that's so important that you sort of share that message. Sure. So the Symantle that I came into eight years ago was a place that was so full of passion and it's a very vibrant organization. And a lot of the that came from the leaders that were sitting at the helm of our organization. We love the Enneagram. We have a lot of Enneagram 8s that were in leadership. These people that want to like drive forward, make decisions, keep moving super quick. She's talking about me right now, but others as well. There, there is a handful. <laughs> um, and there is space for that. And it's important and we need those people to help us make quick decisions. But we didn't as much have room for someone who's not going to interrupt a conversation. So we had to learn how to not talk over each other. I think that's one of the things that we've done in the last like three to four years that has rapidly changed the way that we lead and the way that we make space for new leaders to come up in our organization. And we did that through having conversations, right? Like you and I have now gotten down to a point where you know me well enough that you can know what I'm thinking. You can see it on my face. Yes, and I can. You, and you call on me. Yes, I do. Because I'm not going to interrupt someone. Which also isn't comfortable to you, but I, I have to pull you into the conversation sometimes. Yeah, I yeah. don't love it, but I will let you do it. And I will tell you, here's what I'm thinking. Or, and I've done this a couple of times and I don't know how you feel about it, but like, I'm not ready to tell you how I feel yet. I need to think okay. about it more. Yeah. I'll circle up with you later. Yeah. But we've worked on mechanisms for how we let people who are visionary, who do have great ideas, add to the conversation in a way that feels more natural for them. So yes. I am, I'm big on the follow-up email. I'm big on the, I'm going to Teams message you while we are going through an open discussion and be like, here are my thoughts. Just I love them, that. Do something with it. Yeah. And we've had some hard conversations about like, we need to be better and make space for people who are quieter leaders to be able to lead because the volume of your voice does not have anything to do with the information in your brain Absolutely. or the vision that you have for the future and who we could be. Yeah. I'm so proud of you for just championing this whole idea because you're right, modeling those behaviors is what makes it okay. 
All right. So we're short on time, but I do have to ask you just kind of as a final question, knowing that hopefully a lot of Samantalites listen to this, but then also hopefully some clients. What are your sort of like biggest secrets of success or lessons learned when you think back over the last eight years? You've shared so many already, but if you could just offer like, you know, maybe one or two nuggets of wisdom that you want people to know in working with Samantle or working at Samantle, what comes to mind? So if you're going to work at Samantle and you're going to be successful, I think the two biggest things that you have to know are that it is okay to fail if you do it with transparency, right? Like honesty is the key to everything that we do here. And it is okay to have questions. In fact, we expect you to have questions. Please never stop asking questions. I think there's a sense where people want to get to a point where they know enough and they are always the one giving answers. I still have questions. Yes. Like diving in and asking questions is the way that you continue to learn and grow. If you want to be successful working with Symantle, I would say the flip side of that is let us know you. Let Mm. us get into your product. Let us ask our questions, even if they feel possibly irrelevant to the ask that you have if you have a marketing campaign and we're asking about what your lead distribution looks like it's not because we're nosy it's because we need to know kind of the full scope of things to give you a really good recommendation and oftentimes because we look at how we are successful with a client yes to accomplish their goal for their campaign but also to help them meet their business goal so if you have a business goal that's like we need to increase sales we could give the best campaign ever but if there's something broken in that handoff process between a converted lead to the actual ability to make a purchase no really good campaign is going to fix that you right. could spend far more money trying to offset whatever is broken than if we were to fix what's broken solve that problem yes. and then deliver a really killer campaign that will help you beat your goal instead of just trying to meet it and having a continued problem that you can't fix. Like you can't just pour money to every solution all of the time. And I think our clients that work with us that value us know that that's what we're focused on, right? Like our ability to stay in business is not because of any singular thing. We've got really good creative, but we've also got really good problem solvers. We have people who ask really good questions that help us figure out how to support your business across your business and not just within your marketing division. You're speaking to my heart because I love how you've hit on our intense desire to be honest, right? Even if it's like spend less money to fix this thing over here. So I love this idea of no, let us know you. The best clients I've worked with through the years have allowed us to do our homework, right? And ask hard questions and also get to know us as people. So I could spend all day talking to you. I'm going to have to have you back on the podcast, but thank you. Thank you for your point of pride and just for being Gina Warrior Princess. I love you so much. Love you too. (laughs) I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Gina is one of my favorite humans, as I said countless times on this interview. I love her intellect and I value her influence on others at Samantle. She really hit the nail on the head. Nobody's perfect, we all make mistakes. What's important is how you handle the situation. Doing right by others is always the answer. I couldn't be prouder of Gina and the way she's carried this forward and helped others learn from their inevitable mistakes. To hear more Samantle Point of Pride stories, go to marketingsweats.com or wherever you get your podcasts and check out the rest of the episodes in our very special season six. You can hear more about this story told through Gina's eyes by visiting the 40th anniversary page on samantle.com. That's a wrap for today. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.